Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is back in the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 76, headlined by a very weird middleweight tilt between Sean Strickland and Abu Magomedov. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as always, we're bringing you guys the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is an interview with Kai Machado, who is going to be fighting at Contender Series come August. That's right, the Contender Series interviews have begun. And a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Ivana Petrovic, who is making her UFC debut at this UFC Vegas card. Now, before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. This is a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's very well drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink? Hey, couldn't hurt. Game Up is not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just don't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs, it's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak-bagging badasses, tough mother-mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high-handicap hackers, committed cornhole hawkers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer, and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, joining me today is Kyle Machado, who fights Kevin Zarflaski at Dana White's Contender Series. Week 1, that fight is on August 8th. So, Kyle, I wanted to start here. You were supposed to be on the last season of the Dana White's Contender Series. You had to pull out due to some visa issues. How, how hard was it for you to sort of let that opportunity go by you? Like, it's very frustrating, to be honest with you. Like, we, first of all, hi, how are you doing? But, um, yeah, like, having the opportunity, knowing that all the work we've been putting on for years is finally going to the big stage, and you got to, like, and it got shut down for something that's not fire-related, let's say, is very frustrating. So I had to keep myself in a very, keep my head very strong, head high for a while, trying to keep the mindset that, there's nothing you can do, but keep working. That's what I did. I went back to the gym. I kept working, kept getting better. And for more, more frustrating than it was, I believe right now I'm a better fighter than I was last year. So if I already fought, if I already fought ahead of the shot, uh, I would have the opportunity to get the contract last year. Right now, there's no way I'm not going to be there after August 8th. I love to hear that. Now, I'm curious, because it sounds like the way that you're saying it was frustrating and you just felt like you had to get back to work. You you had no sort of assurance from the UFC that 
when this rolled around the next year that that you would be back in it? You you had no idea. No. No, the UFC like I we had no no idea that like they would get back me right away. They sometimes do. I know of people that didn't got their shot right away, and so then then got right away to the big show the the UFC shows or not at all. So I keep pushing and keep talking to my managers. Hey guys, I'm ready for this. There's no way we we should we need to get this opportunity again. Let's keep pushing and right away when they were matchmaking like they. Apparently, they wanted me in the first episode, so I believe they still were interesting in uh, my work. Besides, heavyweight is a division that doesn't have much depth, and I'm a, I'm a well-needed uh, breath of fresh air on that division for sure. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. Now, I- I'm curious, too, because you said, uh, obviously, that you weren't 100% sure that you'd get the chance to be on the Contender Series again. You were hoping for maybe a short-notice replacement type fight or something like that. But you did take the chance to defend your BFL title again, right? Like, you went back up to Canada, defended your BFL title, heavyweight title. Did you worry at all about, like, the risk, like, the inherent risk of, you know, what comes along with that? Or was it just more about, you know, I had to be active. I had to get back in there. Like I like again, of all, all the respect to uh, to Lopez, that was my opponent uh, at that day. Uh, we are very friendly right now. I don't want to say anything bad, but I'm on a different level than anyone outside of the UFC and even inside of the lower uh, numbers of the UFC heavyweight rankings. I can easily do any kind of work. So it was just about better off like keep myself busy, keep my name up there. I know that, of course, could be a fluke and I could get caught, but like if I did my job, I would get a win. I would keep my name up high on the heavyweight conversation, and the the opportunity will come no matter what. That's that sounds smart to me. Now, I have to ask too, because obviously, heartbreaking not to get your chance last year, last go around. But then you have to see your opponent, Paulo Hanado who you were supposed to have fought, you had, you had done a full training camp for, you were ready for, and then he went in there and he got upset by your late replacement, Jamal Pogues. You know, like, he, he got beat by a guy who had pretty much not prepared for him at all. What, was it tricky? Or was it hard for you to watch that? Did you watch that? <laughs> Sorry, my kid just got here making a little bit of noise. That's okay. Uh, no correct. problem at all. <laughs> Um, like I watched the fight, I want to see what, what was coming, what they were doing with the fight, and like I just, I really got frustrated watching the fight because like Paulo got the chance of his life, he got time to prepare, and he fought for shit. Like he he could he just, he spent like the entire fifteen minutes trying to uh, low kick the guy uh, his op- his opponent that was just like a bigger guy, he was just coming forward, it's like. Stepping on that low kick and throwing a jab cross, like that was super boring, super like frustrating to me to see. And I, I knew like if I was there, I could make easy work with each of those guys, if not both, in the same night. Like I, I'm talking, like come on, you guys are getting your shot to co- finally getting your shot to go to the big show, and you present that. Like do do more, be like that's what the conversation should be all about, right? 
Absolutely. Now, I, I want to talk about your upcoming chance for you to sort of prove it to everybody. But before I do, I, I did want to ask about how you wound up fighting in Canada. Because, you know, like, you're, you're a fighter who, you know, a lot of people associate with your Canadian resume. The fact that you're heavyweight champion at BFL, a well-known Canadian promotion. You train in Canada. But but you're a Brazilian guy, right? You were born in Brazil. How, how did it come that you wound up making you know, your life and your career up in Canada. So, uh, I, that was a kind of interesting story. I came to Canada for in the first time uh, in 2012 for an exchange program during high school. I went to Nova Scotia for first semester. Had a great time. Loved the, loved the country. Loved the experience I had. Went back to Brazil for college. I, I went, I went through Two, two and a half, almost three years of law school back home. And I, but during that, and during that, I was training in Brazil, I was doing a BJJ, Muay Thai, I was kept, always kept training. But I realized at some point that being a lawyer, working in the office, that wasn't for me. And I needed the fresh air. I wasn't kind of clear what would be my next step. So I talked to my parents, I searched around. And I was looking for opportunities to work abroad, study abroad, and and like kind of get a fresh perspective, get out of my my city, get out of the same routine. And I was, and that was that what brought me to Vancouver. Uh, I had a great time here. I I I felt that I through all the time I was here, I knew. I was in the right place, but I wasn't sure, like, especially the first couple of months, I wasn't sure what I was, why I was here, but I knew I kind of, I needed to be here for some, for a reason. That's when I joined SKP MMA gym. I met my coach, my coach, Chris Franco and the rest of the team over there. And we got the opportunity to fight. And I think that when, when all clicked and when I got my first opportunity to, to get into the cage, I fell in love right away. And I knew at this spot, that's what I'm doing. And staying in Canada was just a matter of like, I like my coaches. I like my team I have here. Um, I met a really special girl. Uh, that's my fiance right now, Gabby. And my, and my son was born here. So even I'm a Brazilian of birth, I choose to be Canadian. I love Canada. I love the Canadian uh, fans and the Canadian MMA scene. I made my career here, and I'm very happy. Ha- I'm very happy to say that soon enough, with my process, my, my process already going through. Soon enough, I will be officially uh, Canadian, um, a Canadian citizen. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Awesome to hear. Now, I do have to take it back a second though, because you just told me that you went through two and a half years of law school and then you told your parents that you wanted to get punched in the face for a living at some point in time. You got to tell me, what was the reaction <laughs> to that? <laughs> like, at, at the first, they didn't agree with me. They didn't understand. They took it as like, oh, it's a hobby. Like, he likes to train, he likes to sport, but what are you gonna actually, when are you gonna actually start working? Why, what's gonna be your career? Then I told them, that's the career, that's the, the work. <laughs> like, not paying me right now, but I know I have something very special here, and if you guys can give me a chance, I will prove to you and to the rest of the world, and that's what I've been trying to do since. 
Well, you're going to get a chance to prove that to the rest of the world on August 8th. And that opponent is going to be Kevin Sarflosky. Now, when you got offered him as an opponent, obviously, like I said, you've already done the prep work for Contender Series once. You start doing it again here for Zerflosky. What did you think of him as a potential opponent, especially when you compare him to Paulo Hernado? They're, they're, they're the opposite kind of fights. It's fighters. It's kind of funny to say because uh, Paul Hanato is a smaller guy. He's very athletic. He moves very well. He makes it up a lot of his punching com- and key combinations. He's a guy that I, maybe uh, I would have the size advantage. I would have to impose my weight over him, weight and power over him. While with Shafarki, he's the opposite. He's a 6'6 guy with long range, but He's very slow. He works in a very slow pace. A couple, like couple punches, just a few, few set combinations. He make he makes slow work until he finds his opportunity. And I will have to impose a little bit of my pace and my my velocity, my speed side of the of my game. So it's a completely different game plan. But like I can easily do both like I like to work on the with, with the, my opponent give me extra space that's better for me so I'm I never I I believe from all my career I always felt I always being pressured I always fall guys that MME and I had to to work around it and I'm very good at it but I really shine when I have the time to work and the space to find the combinations. And I think, uh, I believe that will be my best performance ever. Well, you gave us a little bit of the game plan then. And I like to always end these interviews with a prediction. So how do you see this one ending come August 8th? Like, I honestly, like, I don't see he, he being a tragedy to me anywhere. Of course, we're heavyweight. We have punching power and one punch can change everything. But, I believe he's going to make an easy night in the office and I'm going to knock him in the first round. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Kyle Machado, who fights Kevin Zafarski at Dana White's Contender Series Week 1. That fight, once again, is on August 8th. Kyle, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was it's a pleasure. Let's do that again. Well, we have enjoyed that interview with Kyle Machado. I once again have Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave... We got to start here by talking about Aliyah Tapuria's performance this past weekend. He toasted Josh Emmett, beat him in every corner of the ring. And now people are talking about, does he get a title shot right away against the winner of Yair Rodriguez and Alexander Volkanovsky? Does he have to fight like Max Holloway after he, you know, inevitably beats the crap out of Korean Zombie in Singapore? What, what's your take on this one? Do we need to see Aliyah Tapuria in there one more time? Hard pass on Ilya Teporia having to fight anyone else to earn a title shot. He's there, especially given who's at the top of the field uh, at the division, because we've already seen Max Holloway and Korean Zombie challenge for the title. We already know how those fights with Volkanovski would go. I respect the hell out of both men. I can't wait for them to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Usually I'm all about a guy really having to earn it, you know, especially in the modern age of UFC with these very deep divisions. It's not uncommon to see someone have to reel off eight, nine, ten wins in a row to earn their title shot. That is not the case here. I do not need to see Max Holloway versus Volkanovski for the 55th round. So I'm all about uh, a new challenger. I think the UFC will, will be on my side on that one. I just think 
we need some new blood at the top and I need new matchups for Volkanovski. So maybe I'm giving it to him a little early just by product of the division and who's at the top. But for me, uh, that's the fight I want to see. And I, I don't mind him getting there maybe a little early. What about you? Yeah, I kind of agree with you. And I don't even know that it's that early. I mean, he just beat the hell out of uh, Josh Emmett for 25 straight minutes. And Josh Emmett just fought for an interim title. So, like, how much of a stretch is this? Also, I think we sort of have to get away from that idea that everybody has to fight Max Holloway to get to the top. Like, that that's just not, like, a reasonable way for any division to function. You know, like, we talk about somebody being a gatekeeper to the top or a gatekeeper to this. It's not literally a gatekeeper, right? Like, he doesn't have to literally fight every single contender that comes through. So, yeah, I think Tapuri is there. And in addition to that, too, like, he capitalizes on a market that the UFC wants to capitalize, right? He's European. He's, uh, you know, Georgian by descent. He lives in Spain. There are all kinds of Spanish soccer stars at the game or at the fight the other night um, that were, like, pumped to see him and wanted pictures with him afterwards. So, like, you know, like it, he's doing the UFC a solid by capitalizing on a new market. Um, and, and, look, hey, I, I think him versus Volkanovski is probably – I'll be honest, even more intriguing than Volkanovski versus Yair for me, because I think he's faster. I think he's got better defense, um, and I think he wrestles better than than Yair. So, yeah, no, I, I think he's ready right now. Uh, you know, book it as soon as Volkanovski, I, I think, inevitably gets by Yair. I am 100% for the UFC having, like, very clear-cut rules to getting to a title shot. I don't like when Dana and the marketing team can kind of pick a favorite or, you know, kind of rocket launch someone to the top when it's not deserved. But I will give the UFC a pass on this one. From a business perspective, if I'm if Max Holloway beats Korean Zombie and I'm faced with a choice of, hmm, does Max Holloway, the, potentially, arguably, the GOAT of 145, if not right next to Volkanovski at this point, but whatever, you know, one of the greats of the sport, I can give him a well-deserved title shot again or i can go with this new guy taporia but if i give holloway taporia in a number one contender spot i might be killing an interesting number one contender because then fans are going to say well holloway beat him taporia shouldn't get this shot for another year he needs to go reel off two or three in a row what i rather do from a business perspective is give it to taporia if he wins and we don't do the freaking cliched immediate rematch thing or Volkanovski's injured you have an awesome first title challenger for Taporia in Max Holloway. Yeah, I agree. And also like, you know, to your point about killing a, a challenger and like ruining upcoming fights, like that's what happened with Arnold Allen, right? The earlier this year, April, we were talking about Arnold Allen possibly being a fun new person to be, you know, making a run at the title. He had beaten Dan Hooker. He had beaten Sadiq Yusuf. He had beaten Calvin Cater, although that was sort of due to the knee injury. Like he had beaten all kinds of guys in this division and then instead of getting the title shot on a, you know, a hundred fight win streak that he was on, they were like, oh, what if we give him Max Holloway to really test him? He gets, you know, absolutely masterclassed by Max Holloway. And all of a sudden Volkanovski is, you know, one less challenger out there for him. And, you know, good for Max Holloway for being able to turn that many people away. But like the UFC from a marketing perspective, hopefully should have learned their lesson from that, that you can't just keep killing Every single title challenger with Max Holloway might as well have Max Holloway fight the Korean zombies who are never getting back up there again. Yeah, exactly. And also, I got to say, as someone, you know, GSP is, is 
probably my favorite fighter of all time. And when I look back at his run, it's so exciting. He fought everybody. He fought, he fought everybody. Everybody. <laughs> and I just, I'm so glad, you, you know, the matchmaking was different back then. The divisions were different back then. But I'm just so glad that, like, and I'm trying to think of, like, someone who is semi-competitive, I guess, late into the fight. I mean, they could have done it with, like, a Nick Diaz, let's say. You he know, could have like, fought he John Fitch 30 times. Yeah, he could have, yeah. Like, I am so glad that when I go back and watch the canon of GSP's work, that it's just different challengers, and I'm seeing how he goes against different styles. And Volkanovski is that now. You know, Volkanovski has reached a point... I don't need to see him fight Max Holloway a fourth time. I don't need to see him fight Green Zombie a second time. I want to see different challengers try to solve the puzzle of Volkanovski. That is what's interesting to me as an M- from an MMA perspective. And that's what made GSP's run so exciting, too, for people who like weren't watching the sport at the time. What, what made it so impressive and so fun was every single time they wheeled out a new challenger, they gave him Tiago Alves. They were like, oh, here's a, you know, a snappy striker with good kicks that you, he's not going to know how to. And we bought it. Then they brought in Dan Hardy, and they're like, oh, Dan Hardy, big boxer. You know, he, he can he can really swing those things. And you were like, you bought it. You were at least like, oh, shit, he's got to figure this out. Now, in retrospect, GSP was going to steamroll every single one of those dudes. But it was exciting to ask those questions every time. And really, like, we don't have to ask what Volkanovski versus Max Holloway 4 looks like. Like, even if the outcome were to be different, we know what that fight looks like because we've seen it for 75 minutes already. I don't need to see it for 100. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what I need to see, and it's uh, UFC Vegas 76 this weekend. But before we see it, let's give the fans a little gambling advice in our favorite segment on the show, Fight Stocks Parlays for UFC Vegas 76. Let's get into it, Gumby. But before we do, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fight Stocks and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor and adult drink fun. Make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume and a special blend of electrolytes and way more than a hint of flavor. Game Up comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs, gluten-free, no added sugar, Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. All right. Uh, very fun main event, in my opinion, for like a fight night. You have Sean Strickland, a minus 175 favorite, taking on Abbas Magomedov, a plus 145 dog. So you could say the odds are relatively close, albeit Strickland as a pretty strong favorite. Um, he's coming up a win over Nazardine Umovov. He had lost to Jared Cannonier and, of course, Alex Pereira. Before that, so he's one and two in his last three. Before the Pereira loss, he had reeled off uh, six wins in a row, which is no small feat in that middleweight division. He actually is training with Pereira now. uh, So that's interesting just from uh, an improved striking standpoint and whatever he might have picked up there, training with Glover and the guys. uh, I'm very interested to see where that'll land him. Uh, Who you got in this one, Gumby? I'm actually going to go with the Boosman Magomedov. I, I know he's only been in the UFC for, I believe it's 19 seconds uh, was his first fight, and we've only seen him once, and it was against Dustin Stoltzfus. But his run in PFL is really impressive to me, and I went back and watched that fight with uh, Sadabu Sai, and who, who, by the way, is more relevant than ever with that spinning heel kick knockout uh, from this past weekend. But I, I went back and watched that fight. The thing that gives me worry for Sean Strickland in this fight and why I like the underdog here is that 
Magomedov just fights quite a bit longer than Sean Strickland does. He's taller, he's got more reach, and he does like he has like a lean forward to his jab, whereas Strickland fights a little bit more upright. I think he's going to have a tough time getting inside. It's also not like Strickland throws a whole bunch of kicks, which could maybe deter somebody from leaning that far forward. Um, and then you add in the fact that Magomedov does throw those front kicks, right? Like he threw the one that knocked out uh, Stoltzfus and... You know, not for anything, he can wrestle a little bit. Um, and we haven't really seen that much quality wrestling out of Strickland. You know, a little bit here and there to just mix things up. But I think Magomedov actually probably has a wrestling advantage here, too. I think we're probably only seeing these odds where they are because, you know, Magomedov's resume is short in the UFC. But he's had lots of high-level experience outside. So I'm going to go slight dog here. I'm going to take uh, Magomedov in the main event. I love it. Um, let's go with a really close fight. Uh, this one's tough to call. Demir Ismagulov is a minus 115, is the Russian fighter, and Grant Dawson is an even plus 100. Our boy Demir debuted in the UFC in 2018 and reeled off five wins in a row, all via decision, and now he's coming off a loss to Armand Sakurian, which was uh, also a unanimous decision loss. So he's never finished anyone. He's never been finished. He's tough as nails, though. And Grant Dawson is on a heck of a run. You blink and you just kind of miss the fact that this man has had uh, two performance of the night bonuses. Uh, he's had some trouble with weights. Uh, he had to do a couple of catch weights. Uh, he missed weight uh, in his last fight with Mark Madsen, but one via rear naked choke he has uh actually who three five victories in the ufc via rear naked choke which is amazing since debuting on contender series in 2017 with a rear naked choke in the ufc he is seven oh and one he had a majority draw with ricky glenn who are you taking here I- i'm gonna go grant dawson i'm gonna go dog dog here to cap off the card i, I just think you're going to see a fight here where Ismagulov is going to have to keep his feet uh, and keep this at range in order to win. Because I actually don't think he wins like a gritty grinder of a fight against somebody like Grant Dawson. Grant Dawson, like you said, he's a big dude. He has trouble making 55, and that's after he used to fight at 45. He talked to us about it last week on the podcast. Um, and he's just like a guy who puts people up against the cage. He wears on them. As you mentioned, if he can get you down, he's got great control down there. Since he's moved to working at American Top Team, his grappling has looked better and better. He's looked stronger and stronger. And his Magulov, look, he, he had a little bit of trouble in the clinch with Garam Kugatatzeladze uh, in that fight. And, and I'll be honest, I, I didn't think he won it. I, I didn't think he won that fight with Kutataladze. I think Kutataladze won that fight. And then, you know, he turned around and he had trouble in the grappling with Sarkurian. So when you add those two things together, he's getting a guy who can do similar things in Grant Dawson, and we're getting him at dog money. So, hey, I like that one. I like it. Um, Michael Morales is a minus 250. Max Griffin is a plus 200. Uh, Morales is 14-0 and 0 as a pro. Very, very impressive. Um, in the UFC itself, though, he debuted on Contender Series, got a win, and then reeled off two more wins. So you call him 3-0 in the UFC if you count Contender Series, which I do. Uh, Max Griffin's coming off a win over Tim Means via split decision. Lost in Neil Magny before that. Was on a three-fight win streak before the Magny loss. So you can say he's 4-1. Uh, and one in his last five, and betting off as a two-to-one dog. Who you got? 
So I'm definitely going favorite here. I won't go dog, dog, dog off the top of the card. I love Michael Morales. He's maybe one of my favorite guys I've seen off a contender series in recent times. He's so fast. He's so quick. And he's so young. He's only 24 years old. Uh, at six foot tall, he's got a 79 inch reach, which just, you know, like that, that shows you incredible length. And when you look at that up against Max Griffin, who's had trouble with people with extended reach, right? Like he had trouble with Neil Nagney on the feet. There's a reason for that. He had trouble with Tim Means, who's got a lot of reach. You know, like there's a reason for that. And, you know, Max Griffin has kind of entered this era of his career where he's not really finishing fights anymore. I mean, he, he finished Song Kanan, but, like, Song Kanan got finished a bunch. You know, Ramiz Brahimai's ear exploded in that fight. But if you don't count that, you have to go all the way back to 2000 and, or 2016 when he knocked out Eric Montano to find another finish. So I just don't know that he'll be able to keep up with the younger, fresher, faster dude and avoid all the knockouts from Morales because that's the other thing Morales bangs. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go Michael Morales here. I, I think he gets him out of there. Our underdog of the week is Benoit St. Denis, a plus two fifty over Ishmael Bonfim. Yeah. I, I love uh, Benoit St. Denis here. I, I think a lot of people um, are all over the Bonfim brothers. Obviously both of them made their way to the UFC through the contender series. Both of them looked super deadly in their first fights, which happened down in Brazil. But the thing is, is I actually don't like Ishmael as much as I like uh, Gabriel, his brother, because he's just like a little bit worse defensively. Uh, I also think he he's one of those guys who uh, rushes into things a little bit too fast, which actually his brother does too. But his brother's a little bit stronger when it comes to striking. And as we've seen with Benoit Saint-Denis, he is an exceptionally good grappler. I think he's going to be the better wrestler in this fight. I think he's going to have lots of top control time. And if he does that and stays away from the subs, I think you're going to see him grind out a decision here. And as we've seen with Benoit Saint-Denis, he took everything and the kitchen sink from Elysees Lesky Dos Santos up a weight class on short notice. And if that's not going to knock him out, I don't know that Bonfim is either. So, yeah, give me Benoit Saint-Denis at a huge number. Uh, our parlay to play is Renan Fakretindanov. I probably butchered that. And Ivana Pedrovic. Uh, our Renat is minus 200 and Ivana is minus 225. So let's do the math on that. It'll get you plus 117 odds if you play this parlay. Let's hear it. Yeah, Renat Fakredinov is fighting Kevin Lee in his return to the UFC. Obviously, he left the UFC on bad terms. Lost a whole bunch of fights on the way out the door, including one to, to Daniel Rodriguez. His only fight outside the UFC was against Diego Sanchez in Habib's promotion. And let me tell you something. I watched that fight. Not impressed. He got stunned by a very, very old uh, Diego Sanchez in a counter left hand. I think Fakhradinov could torch him on the feet. But more importantly, I actually think Fakhradinov is a better wrestler, too. So seeing that at only negative 200 seems like a steal. And then Petrovic. She, she's a striker by trade, but the thing is, is her grappling is so good. She's got a whole bunch of finishes on the ground in Aries. She's, she's was her champ and she's going to be fighting essentially a Muay Thai kickboxer who has no skills on the ground. No offense to Luana Carolina, but look, Luana Carolina got subbed by Ariane Lipsky who doesn't have a ton of submissions threats. Uh, and so I think Petrovic, as soon as she wants to, is just going to take this fight to the ground. She's going to sub her, and uh, she's going to make negative 225 look like a steal. So if you got a couple of steals there at like two to one money, might as well get the plus money return here. I like it. That wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Hey, let us know how we did. 
in our advice, you could reach us at Top Turtle MMA on the socials. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not stop. What should we do now? We're going to transition now to my interview with the aforementioned Ivana Petrovic, who is fighting Luana Carolina this weekend in her UFC debut. We're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Ivana Petrovic, who fights Luana Carolina at UFC Vegas 76. That fight is on July 1st. So first of all, Ivana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. All right. So the, the first thing I obviously want to ask, you know, you get the call straight to the UFC. A lot of people going through the Ultimate Fighter these days or Contender Series or things like that. You get the call straight to the UFC. What, what was the reaction like when your manager calls to tell you, hey, they, they want you on the big show right away? Uh, to be honest, it feels it felt like a dream in the start. But after some time, I got a fight and uh, I said, OK, now I need to start to train and uh, yeah. Uh, to be more serious. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, you, you said you had to get to training. We're going to talk for that fight in a second. But I want to talk about the lead up to getting this contract, too, because, you know, you won the Aries belt. You defend the Aries belt. Did, did you kind of assume something this big was coming or, or was this a surprise at this stage of your career? To be honest, uh, yes, because uh, Mick Maynard was there on my uh, first uh, uh, first fight for the belt uh, with Alexander Takana, and he saw the fight. I think he enjoyed it, and uh, but I was signed to RS, and I had one more fight on the contract. Uh, but after this fight, I um, I managed to win. Uh, she's she was a pound for pound best fighter in Europe, and uh, I expect that they're gonna call. Maybe not so soon, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, they must have had you circled on their, their chart. So, I, I, you know, with that being said, was the UFC always your goal? Was it always your dream to, you know, like fight on the, the European regional scene until you got that call? Was the UFC the, the big plan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, UFC was always on my mind. And I, I knew I'm I'm going to come to UFC. I uh, didn't know when uh, because I just started like amateur in 2018. My first professional is, was when I was 26 years old. So I'm just like two years professional. And uh, I was just fighting. I was just taking all the fights. And uh, you see, after after some time, uh, hard work pays off. And that's a good point. You know, you, you kind of started a little bit later in the sport than a lot of fighters do, right? You know, some fighters nowadays starting at 15, 16 years old, things like that. What what got you moving into MMA at, at that age? So I was training um, kickboxing. Uh, I started when I was 17 years old. Before that, I trained uh, handball. Uh, my father introduced me to handball, but I was never so interested. I wanted to impress them, but I didn't like handball mm -hmm. so much. Like I uh, like I wanted to go in uh, martial arts, and then I decided to stop with handball and start with kickboxing. I was doing kickboxing for uh, two years, and then I started with jiu-jitsu. After jiu-jitsu, I started Muay Thai. So I had a lot of lot of fights in jiu-jitsu and uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing. Uh, but in the end, I wanted to come to MMA. But I also wanted to have some background so I can uh, be good in MMA too. So yeah. So that makes a lot of sense, but it, it obviously brings up a bigger question for me because you're saying you started with kickboxing, but watching any of your fights, you're mauling women on the ground, right? Like you're, you're absolutely taking them down, beating the hell out of them, submitting them, all that kind of stuff. 
is it did it was it just that jujitsu and wrestling came natural to you or uh what is there something about the ground game that that particularly clicked yeah i think so that's something that is natural in me because when i started with jujitsu i was really bad with techniques mm -hmm. and coach are trying to to show me all that things and he was like oh my god you're uh, you, you don't have talent for this sport <laughs> but after i started the sparring i was beating the people that are better better than me i don't know how but i have that that naturally in my uh, in my body even now i'm struggling to learn some techniques but that technique is natural in me and i'm i'm developing and uh, every time i'm better and better on the ground so yeah that's probably something i'm born with <laughs> i love it i love it now you know you mentioned you beat the number one in the world in or in the europe rather in your weight class i, I want to ask about fighting in europe too because this is going to be your first time if i'm not mistaken fighting outside of europe what is it like for you knowing you know you're going to travel halfway across the world for this fight for the very first time um to be honest it's cool it's las vegas i never were in las vegas so i'm looking forward to, to see las vegas mm -hmm. uh and then uh, yeah i'm looking forward to see how my body is going to be after i start retraining there i know it's uh, probably a little bit harder in the start when you have jet lag but uh, i have my mental coach my conditioning coach that's helping me that have some things i'm going to do to to be even better and to um, get over that jet lag even faster. So yeah, just looking forward to it and uh, that's it. Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about the fight because, you know, like I said, you got the call straight to the UFC. Clearly they were interested. Like you said, Mick Maynard watching your fights prior and they start you off with kind of a tall task. You know, not a lot of people in their debut are getting a six fight UFC veteran Especially, you know, you got six professional fights yourself, but she's got six in the UFC. What what were your thoughts when they offered you somebody who's who's sort of been there for a while in Luana Carolina? Um, I think it's a good matchup. Uh, she had a few fights in UFC, but uh, I think she is uh, exactly the fighter I need to fight right now. And uh, that's going to be a good test for me and uh, really looking forward to, to show everyone what I'm capable of, even uh, with one fighter that is uh, long in UFC or from a 2018 or something when I start my amateur career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and like you said, so, so she's the type of fighter you feel like you need to test yourself against. Is that experience wise? Do you feel like she has some particular skill set that you need to test yourself against? What, what about Luana Carolina is the right fit for you right now? Uh, experience and striking. She's a striker. So I think she wants to strike me and I want to show her that I can strike with her. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So you you see yourself in this fight showing off a little bit more of your striking, of standing with her and showing everybody what you're made of, both on the feet and on the mat. Yeah, maybe. If I don't get bored and then I... <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, so I, I usually like to, to wrap these things up with a prediction. So give me a prediction. How does this one end come July 1st? Okay, my my teammates uh, are uh, sure that I'm going to finish with submission in the second round. So you, I'm you going. Want, you want to get fancy and tell me what kind? Or mm, if I'm going to be me, uh, rear naked choke, but maybe something more spectacular for the for the audience. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, once again, fans, this has been Ivana Petrovich who fights Luana Karolina at UFC Vegas 76. That fight. 
July 1st. Ivana, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Game Up Hard Hydration, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby-Freeland. He's Jacques Wave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.